Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today I have Representative Scott Lips from Ohio House District 62. Uh, Representative Lips is also the chair of the Ohio Health Committee in the House and has done a lot of work for pharmacists to help expand our scope of practice here in Ohio, among other things. So, Representative Lips, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. So we're, we're doing this podcast because of a, a House bill you had, House Bill 203, that was focused on expanding kind of pharmacy and mobile uh, dentistry units in our state of Ohio, which I think is awesome. And I'm glad that you did this. But ironically, you were just met with the governor who signed this bill into law literally minutes ago. So thanks for taking the time to come on here. And uh, obviously, we want to talk about this house bill. Can you expand on kind of what it does and what prompted it? Yeah, thank you for the opportunity to talk about a bill that we're so proud of and so happy with. And you're right, I delayed my call with you about 15 minutes because uh, the governor's bill signing was today, and he had President Obhoff from the Senate and I attend uh, the signing of House Bill 203. It started as a mobile dental facilities bill, so we were trying to clean up uh, mobile dental labs in Ohio. We They're not controlled. We can't tell you if there's two or 2,000. And when, when a patient, for example, a Medicaid patient would be treated, their records did not follow. So if that mental, mobile dental lab moved on, uh, and they went to a different dentist. The x-rays weren't available, so they had to pay for them again. So we're trying to tighten that up. As the bill started moving through, it passed in the House 92 to 1, and the Senate, uh, Senators Burke and Senator Steve Huffman, added the pharmacy amendment to it, uh, knowing that for the last four years I've worked on specific pharmacy bills. I mean, it's been a big area of mine, and as you and I have discussed. So they added a pharmacy amendment that expands the current law from pharmacists being able to enter into consult agreements with physicians to be able to enter them with, to manage drug therapy for patients suffering from chronic diseases, but with APRNs, clinicians assigned by the, the physician, physician's assistants. So it expands the role the pharmacist gets to play uh, on the clinical team. What kind of prompted this? Was it just that, you know, Senator Burke being a pharmacist and kind of knowing you know, your relationship with pharmacists, what you've done for pharmacy and knowing that this was just much needed or was there like any sort of incident or was this just that it seemed like an obvious mistake or an obvious overlooking because of the roles that those advanced practice nurses and physicians assist, physicians assistants play in healthcare? Yeah, I think it's the change of healthcare. Ten years ago, APRN physicians assistants played a much smaller role in the healthcare team. So a consult agreement with a, with a physician seemed appropriate. But today, especially in the past year, uh, PAs and APRNs are playing a critical role now, uh, and we have to be able to expand the pharmacist to be part of that team as well. So Senator Steve Huffman's a doctor, and he certainly saw the need. So uh, when, when the bill started, originated with a medical doctor, that really gave it a lot of meat yeah. because the medical community certainly wasn't opposed to the bill. There are people that don't like scope of expansion or scope of practice. And obviously, this isn't a scope of practice. It's allowing you to practice with the other clinical members of the team. So uh, it just closed that loop. So Senator Huffman had called and said, hey, can we get this amendment into HB203? And I was very excited. You asked where it really started. Antonio Chacho, formerly with the Ohio Pharmacists Association, and I have a longstanding relationship um, to fight pharmacy battles. 
And we keep a running list of things that we believe in the pharmacy world are wrong, need attention, need addressed, need corrected, have changed, they need updated. And we've always felt that we needed to get this console agreement expanded and the uh, certainly we need to get provider status expanded and pharmacists paid. So just another uh, stepping stone to get where we need to be. Yeah, Antonio's one hell of a guy. He just this week got announced as one of the uh, innovation and disruptor leaders at APHA, and he's going to be working part-time, I think, at OPA and APHA, if I got the understanding correct, to helping fight the similar fights that you're talking about here in Ohio on a national level. So uh, big ups to him. Uh, he's someone I always enjoy texting back and forth with, and we'll probably get on at some point here. But I'm glad to see that you work so well with him. And I'm glad to see you have that concern, which I really think that, you know, since this bill passed 92 to 1, it shows just how bipartisan it was. You had one person who voted against it out of the, what, 99 state reps we have here in Ohio and a few people who were absent. Do you think a lot of the issues around kind of fixing pharmacy, whether it be PBM reform, provider status, what have you, are mostly bipartisan and can be pretty easily addressed with a common sense approach and if pharmacists speak up a little bit? Yes. I, I mean, I've worked a lot of issues, and pharmacy is one of the easiest issues to get bipartisan agreement on. Most of my legislation, I've had a, a Democrat, I'm a Republican lawmaker. Most of my bills, I've had a Democratic lawmaker on as my joint sponsor. So uh, we've worked well. But but pharmacy is not an issue that splits on uh, on common areas. You would think there's disagreements, uh, such as Republican and Democrat, and black and white. And so we've been we've been very fortunate to have strong numbers. I mean, think about it: how many pieces of legislation are going to get through the House ninety-two to one? <laughs> um, what a road naming bill? Yeah, you're uh, naming a month after something, a chronic illness, uh, a road naming bill, something that's that that plays no real role in Ohio government. But when you take a law that changes how we manage dental labs, mobile dental labs, and how we include the pharmacists on the clinical team, that's a much broader issue than naming a road. Uh, The the one opposed vote was because he was concerned of scope of practice. He is opposed to any expansion of practice. So he did call me ahead of time and say, look, I'm not going to be able to vote for this bill because I have a longstanding history of opposing scope of practice. So... That's that's his feeling and, and his personal right, of course. Uh, we felt like the bill was so strong, it, it, it did a lot more than, than anything to do with scope of practice, so we passed it 92-1. I think any time you look to Republicans or Democrats, they're all going to support pharmacy. Now, Eric, where you may see some disagreement is the solutions. For example, PBM reform. You may not have agreement across the aisle on PBM reform or how you fix a PBM relationship with Medicaid, but believe me, we're we're, we're going to get there. Everybody's working on it. Yeah, and I think that's in- interesting because, like you said, a lot of healthcare bills, you know, people agree there's a problem, but they might not agree of the solution. So I think that you have that initial step of okay, we need to fix this. We know why we need to fix it, but it's the how we can fix it. So as someone who sits on the health committee, kind of. What do you do to help kind of both sides navigate that so you can get a solution that everybody, maybe not everybody, but the majority agree on so you can put something effective into legislation? Oh, boy. (laughs) I started laughing. You can't see me, but I'm laughing. So about a month ago, I made the decision as the chairman of health that the PBM issue had lost some of its fever, some of its fury over COVID. Everyone's been so distracted. No one's been at the state house on a consistent basis. And the traction we had gained in exposing the PBM fraud 
and the PBM Greed in Ohio uh, had lost some of its steam. So a month ago, I started a daily series of a message, an email message to members of the health committee, interested parties, and to members of the leadership team at the house talking about the PBM issue, the, the 340B issue, the pharmacy issue, the Columbus Dispatch articles. And for 17 days, I gave them one article each day. You probably should know that Antonio helped me put together the most critical issues because I wanted to make sure I did it in some kind of chronological order of how we fought the PBM battle. And I wanted attention drawn to the different caveats where PBMs wouldn't communicate and wouldn't share information and wouldn't let us see in the black box to understand contractual pricing. So so you talk about how we're fighting the battle. I have had legislators reach out to me and say, wow, thank you. I had no idea that happened in Ohio. So I feel prepared when we go back to work now as a health committee that members of the health committee will be 100% ready to charge. And I think that's key. And I like the way that you take that stance and you're really trying to say, hey, here's the issue. Here's a friendly reminder. This didn't go away because COVID hit. If anything, COVID has made it stronger because we've seen, I know personally with uh, was one of the major uh, Medicaid uh, players in Ohio that my pharmacy wasn't contracted with. Once COVID hit, they said, okay, those people can go to that pharmacy. We just want to make sure they're not hopping back and forth and you know, we're really taking care of our people. Well, their PBM, who is CVS Caremark, kept putting up firewalls against our pharmacy. We had a call every single time. You're talking 20 minutes to an hour just to get one prescription fixed for somebody for an antibiotic. And I literally had this happen the other day and it was for an antibiotic for an STD, something that should just be easy, no problem. And then not only did it take me 35 minutes to get the get the prescription to go through after being on hold, being told, no, it wouldn't. And then me basically telling him, no, it will. Here's the policy change. Having to go higher up in the, in the uh, triage tree for their, the PBM uh, pharmacy help desk. But then I ended up losing money on giving someone treatment for their STD. So like the whole thing just shows how corrupt the, uh, the PBMs are in not just our state, but just in general, some of the practices that they do. So I'm, I cannot express enough how much thankful I am. Someone like you has really taken these and just running with it. If you understand the legislative process, if a bill has struggles, has an issue getting out of committee, it's going to have issues getting to the floor because the speaker would be reluctant to call it if it had trouble. So by educating the committee to come back and go, we had no idea, and now they've got all this data and information and studies and articles written about this information. So I think that they are really ready. Any PBM bill we put out now, any health care reform bill, any 340B bill, I believe the health committee will be all over, and we will pass it in half the time. Instead of having six committee hearings, I'll probably be able to have two or three and pass all those bills. Oh, wow. So, so I, I mean, that's really the way this process works. And I wasn't willing to lose six months and let all this work go to waste. So that's why I upped the, the, the kind of the, up the pressure. So sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, you're good. I think that's a I think that's a really smart idea in the way you did that, not just strategically, but also to be like, you know, make the most of the time we have, because with COVID, we have more time to sit and read things at home because we're not traveling as much back and forth, as you stated, since you're uh, in your hometown. As a politician who's not a pharmacist by training like Senator Burke is in Ohio or, you know, Buddy Carter in, in the uh, U.S. House Representatives, what kind of prompted you to look at fixing and tackling all these pharmacy issues? It just seems like something that wouldn't necessarily fall in your scope since you're not a pharmacist or even a pharmacy technician. <laughs> right. It, I didn't know that when I went to the state house, this was going to be kind of my signature issue. 
when other state representatives get pharmacy information or bills or questions about PBM, they always call me. It's like, well, go call this. And it's like, well, five years ago, I would have never expected that. So the history is uh, one of my best friends in the world is Tom Mullaney of Mullaney's Pharmacy and Home Health Care in Cincinnati. Uh, known Tom for 25 years. We've traveled uh, to 20 Indy 500 together, for example. And all that time, he would say to me, you can't believe what they do to independent pharmacists. You just can't. You would never, if I told you how corrupt this industry is, and I mean, I listened out of one ear, but, but you know, I ran a small business and was a mayor of a small community. I, I didn't really pay attention. But as I got to the legislature and then met with Antonio, everything Antonio said, Tom had already put in one of my ears. <laughs> so it's like, wait a minute, is this possible? So I kind of picked the rock, looked rock up and looked underneath it, and my God, I, I was shocked. And that's when I started the investigation into spread pricing. Um, at about $10 million, I felt like something was going on, and as a freshman legislator, I felt I was over my head. So I brought the Speaker of the House in at that time, who was Cliff Rosenberger, and I asked him to look at it to make sure I was getting the right information. He looked at it, and at $50 million, he said, oh, my God, Scott, this is, <laughs> you're right. This is something's wrong. And we turned it over to Attorney General Yost, who ended the investigation at $244 million just in the Medicaid program, not workers' comp or unemployment compensation or none of the other programs, um, the police retirement, OPERS program, nothing. So if you add it all together, you're probably approaching a billion dollars. But Medicaid is $244 million. Yeah. So all of a sudden, I had uncovered that, had a signature issue, and we were able to of course, get the Ohio Department of Insurance to make some changes. We did away with the gag rule, for example. So we just, once we had uncovered something this big, uh, Antonio and I became very close friends, and we just kept marching forward looking at provider status and how do we get a pharmacist to be part of the, the paid clinical process. And now, Eric, I did mention independent pharmacists. In my community where I live, Franklin, Ohio, the independents are gone. They've been forced out by the chain. Yep. But the chain pharmacists that I work with, because that's where I get my scripts filled, they, I, I believe they would like to do more than count pills, stand behind the counter, and look out of a man, management manual. That pharmacist is trained. They want to be part of a healthcare team, so I talk to my pharmacists all the time. But remember, because of low reimbursements from the PBMs, the pharmacists can't really afford yep. to come out and work with patients. So whether it's an independent or a chain pharmacist, they could do a hell of a lot more. They're trained for a hell of a lot more. But because we've got a, a mistaken uh, reimbursement program that we're letting the PBMs control, or now the MCOs are controlling it too, by the way, um, they can't afford that kind of personal time with mom and pop on Main Street like they used to. Yeah, and you know, one thing you point out there is obviously, you know, with kind of some of the cutbacks of the pharmacist time in Ohio, if I remember correctly, we have seven schools of pharmacy. So we have like this huge tool in our own backyard. We have pharmacists and people and students who are trained to do stuff like this that are resources that, you know, could eventually not get paid, have a hard time finding jobs when really there's such a need for them in the community to do some of the things that you're talking about here. So I think that that's one way we can take care of our state and our higher education program, quite honestly, at the same time. One thing you did mention was Tom Mullaney. I actually met him when we were down there for an Ohio Pharmacists Association meeting, and he's a great guy. But I, 
I don't know him outside of that meeting a whole lot, but I really enjoyed talking to him there. But I think to your point, it really shows the power of constituents speaking up and kind of with their legislators. Now, granted, you and him had a very good relationship, it sounds like. But just the fact that as a constituent, he knew and could reach out to you, whether it was your office or you, and just say, hey, here's an issue I'm facing, and that you ran with that because of things that you heard from your district. I think that speaks a lot of power of why we, the things like the gag rule are important to get rid of so that pharmacists can speak up. Is, is that one of the things you, why you wanted to see it gone so you can really have pharmacists be empowered to kind of speak up? Oh, it's, can you imagine telling the, the American voter that they're allowed to have information secretly withheld in any industry? I'm not just talking pharmacy. If you told me the, crowd, the, the cashier at Kroger's was not allowed to tell me, you would go, what are you talking about? And you wouldn't shop there. So, so I think pharmacists were put in a terrible situation. For example, I think the pharmacists on Main Street may have known that family for 25 years. They know everybody, their brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas. For them to not be able to share with the family, you can pay $2 or if you use your insurance card, you could pay $40. They know. The pharmacists knew that money would come right out of their food budget. Yep. So it's not fair. So, yes, we've been very careful to to, to pay attention and to spread the word. And uh, Now, Mark Kratzer is a pharmacist also down here in Southwest Ohio, and he has a store in my district. Um, Mark's an independent pharmacist that has fought so hard to maintain his employees, to keep them, to treat them well. Um, to, Mark's commitment is to try to keep independent pharmacies in little towns like Lebanon. So so we, we've seen the battle, we've seen the fight, and yes, as a legislator, when I see small businesses fight this hard against giants, uh, and then when I see the corporate giants are cheating to take advantage of things, it just infuriates me. So I'm very blessed to be chairman of health, and I am going to use that time as much as I can to fight this battle. Yeah, and one good point there that you didn't mention, but I kind of read between the lines is, when you have somebody who can start a small business with their either professional degree or with their, you know, their training, whatever it is, you have a chance for somebody to really lift themselves up. So really, when you're fighting for pharmacists here, you're actually fighting for small businesses at the same time. And so people can, you know, make something better themselves, have something a little more rewarding while also taking care of people at the same time. So I think that that's a, that's a, a all the more noble to fight to kind of take with this cause. So thanks again for for really tackling that issue. I think it's, I think it's huge. And I think it, it can't be spoken on enough at this point. In fact, I think the more ears we get to it, the more people are going to realize that people like you are leading the way on this and really for the better with everything. If you don't protect the pharmacy profession now, you won't have a pharmacy profession. You yep. will have robots and pill counters that aren't allowed to think on their own. And what you lose there is the personal touch of a pharmacist, knowing the family, the family history, on the clinical team, I would bet you the 75% of the time, the family pharmacist knows the family most well of all the members of the clinical team. So let's let's reward that. Let's reimburse that experience and that relationship properly instead of allowing corporate America like Caremark or the PBMs or CVSs um, to, to take that away from uh, Main Street America. I... I- I always feel that, but I'm glad to see someone who's not a pharmacist says that because that really makes it kind of resonate a little bit better with some of the listeners. And I think it just shows how well you understand what we do as well. There's two questions I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, and they're a little different since you're a lawmaker. If you could change one thing about pharmacy that is not law-related, what would it be? Um, It's a tough question because there's so many things I would like to see changed. 
Um, I guess one of them would be pharmacy pricing. Um, I'm, I'm still afraid there are issues related to pricing that means some people don't get their medicine. I've recently been working on an area of an orphan drug, a pharmaceutical company doing research, and they approached me and how to set up reimbursement because if there's only 10,000 patients with this condition, how can they spread the cost of development and distribution of a very limited-use drug? Usually you're making a drug and hoping it hits 10 million or 50 million or 100 million people. But if it's only going to be 10,000, how do we fund that? Because you can't charge a million dollars a dose. Yeah. So that's been a, an area where I have been bringing other lawmakers in and trying to educate them. Because other educators will say, well, let's provide this. And then I say, okay, well, the way it's set up now, they're going to pay a million dollars a dose. And they go, let's change it. <laughs> I think that one of the significant areas I'd like to see change is, is a pharmacy availability through pharmacy change in pricing. Okay. And then if you could change one law about pharmacy, federal or state, right now, this instant, aside from your House Bill 203, which just passed, by the way, so thank you again for that, what law would you change or would you look to change? There's a bunch, and uh, I plan on getting reelected, so I'm going to have some more time to work on these. But the biggest hot button in our office right now is the 340B issue, where the federally qualified health centers make the spread on the drugs. But they are federally mandated by law to reinvest that into the community services. Right. So they're serving underserved. What has happened now is the MCOs and PBMs have figured out that little point spread, and they are keeping it for themselves. So, again, the MCO and the PBMs are both massive publicly held corporations are enriching themselves against the benefit of the common man on Main Street who needs it, who may be unemployed, who may be on Medicaid, who's reaching out to the federally qualified health center, and all of a sudden those services are being reduced. So let's use mine, for example, where I live. If you cut their pharmacy budget out because you're going to give that profit to the MCO or to the PBM now, they may have to close their dental labs, their their dental operatories. Well, those two dental operatories in Franklin, Ohio, serve underserved kids that may not have seen a dentist for seven years. So we have to maintain their presence. So we are fighting it uh, not only on a federal level, but on a, a state level. We've got representatives Kleitz and representatives Manchester writing a bill on 340B right now. we got representative Thomas West, who's been a huge part of the battle. Uh, and we are going to push this legislation through this year. So that's one of the things you'll see. As soon as the House reconvenes after the election, one of the first bills that will be ran will be the 340B bill uh, to try to protect uh, 340B entities from the PBMs and MCOs money grab. Yeah, and that affects a lot of Ohio, whether it be the underserved in the rural areas or the underserved or the lower income people in the urban areas. So it affects our whole state no matter what. And Randy Kleitz has been, uh, Representative Randy Kleitz has been on this podcast before. She was another great guest. You and her, some of the people I really follow with our state house stuff when it comes to pharmacy. So thanks for doing what you do. Uh, I can't say how much I, it honors me to have you on here right after you just signed House Bill 203 into law. While it is election season, can you throw out kind of where Ohio District 62 covers, just for any of the listeners? Yeah, it's southwestern Ohio. It's a, a bedroom district between the big cities of Dayton and Cincinnati, I guess you'd say. So Lebanon is the county seat. A lot of people would identify with Kings Island, which is just south, about 20 miles south of the district. 
so little communities like Franklin and Springboro and Lebanon and but between between south of Dayton, north of Cincinnati, and a little bit east. So okay. uh, a very rural district, strong on county fairs, strong on 4-H, uh, so a rural district. For example, we don't have a large city. Uh, our largest entity would be Hamilton Township with only 32,000 citizens or the city of Springboro with about 25,000, so a lot of villages. Small town, small town, Midwest America. What you think of? Yes, where we've lost our independent pharmacies, so I won't quit fighting. Yeah, yeah, it definitely hits areas like yours the hardest because those are the areas where we don't see as many of the the chains and the bigger stores pop up because it's not a huge revenue generator for them. But it is for independent pharmacy where they can really fill that niche. So, thank you for representing your district and helping protect and you know chase after a lot of the problems in pharmacy. I the, to me that is just so powerful. I'm I'm honored to have you on here. Thank you, sir. And as always, folks, if you can give me a five-star rating or share this, I think what Representative Lips is doing is absolutely amazing for our profession at even a state level, which in some cases can be just as impactful, if not more so, than the federal level. So thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.